Good morning. 오늘 주님께서 주시는 말씀은 구약 시편 1장입니다. 그리고 어, 신약 요한복음 17장 6절서부터 17절입니다. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalms 1. If you are able, please, here is then, <laughs> to show us the Lord we are. Okay. Ready? Right. Okay. 복 있는 사람은 악인에게를 쫓지 아니하며 오만한 자의 자리에 앉지 아니하고 오직 여호와의 율법을 즐거워하여 그 율법을 주하여 묵상하는 자로다. 저는 시내가에 심은 나무가 시절을 쫓아 과실을 맺으며 그 잎사귀가 마르지 아니함 같으니 그 행사가 다 형통하리로다. 아기는 그렇지 않으며 오직 바람에 나는 겨와 같도다. 그러므로 아기는 심판을 견디지 못하며 죄인이 의인의 회중에 들지 못하리로다. 대저의인의 길은 여호와께 인정하시나 악인의 길은 망하리로다. Our New Testament reading is from John chapter 17, verse 60 through, I mean 6 through 11. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the word that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but to those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may see. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a great day to praise our Lord. Would you bow with me in prayer for the word? Lord, we thank you for your grace, your Son, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Lord, even through times such as these, Lord, once again, we gather before you and we stand in awe of your greatness and your goodness to us. Father, we pray that you would continue to draw our attention, to draw our hearts and our desires, Lord, towards you as we look into your word, Lord, for truth, the truth that will guide us and lead us in our daily lives, ultimately, Lord, glorifying you. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It's good that um, our sister Linda read the first, the Old Testament reading in Korean, and it was right on the screen. Uh, I think uh, it, was, it was God's providence that she read in English uh, the, the, the New Testament reading because it wasn't on the screen so that everybody could understand, right? Uh, this morning, I'd like to share with you about Psalm 
1, the first psalm in a series of psalms, 150 of them. And hopefully most of you have read all of the psalms and you know that you know, there are a lot to be taken in. There's a lot of truth that we can know from the psalms. As we look at the first psalm, I would like to first do a little bit of overview, a brief introduction of the book of psalms because I think it will help us to better understand the first uh, psalm. And I think a lot of us are intimidated by the psalms because sometimes they use words that we don't understand or maybe they have been written in a context that maybe we're not familiar with or, or maybe uh, it's in some kind of poetic scheme or poetic, you know, uh, whatever structure that maybe we're not familiar with. And so we can be intimidated, I think, by the psalms a little bit. But I think understanding uh, how they were written will help us to enjoy them a little bit more. Uh, we do know that the Psalms were written not all at once, but they're written over a period of about a thousand years. And you'll know some of the authors of the Psalms, authors like Moses and David and Solomon. And so they weren't all written by the same author and they weren't written all in the same time. In fact, the Psalms were not even compiled altogether until after the exile of Israel. So most scholars will say that the Psalms were compiled after the exile, and some scholars will say that it was even after the building of the rebuilding of the second temple. And so it was not until much later, even after David, after Psalm, after Solomon, after um, you know many of the authors wrote the Psalms, that uh, they were actually compiled. And so we know that the book of Psalms is not chronological. There's, there's no scheme to the comp comp compiling of it, except that we know that there is a general theme, right? An underlying theme to the psalm, which we'll get to in a little bit. Psalm 1 was also not the first psalm written. So it's, it's not the first psalm because it was the first written, but it was intentionally placed there as an introduction to the book of Psalms. In fact, a lot of scholars will say that the first two psalms used to be one psalm, and over time, uh, it was broken up into two. And so we're going to look at the first psalm, but at the, end of, uh, at the end of examining the first psalm, I'd like to also examine the first psalm in light of the second psalm, and then in context to the book of psalms, and then in context to the Bible. As a general outline, we can broadly take Psalm 1 into two parts, the first three verses and then the latter three verses. So verses 1 through 3 tell us about a blessed man, the characteristics of a blessed man, right? Who is this blessed man? And then the latter three verses tell us about a cursed man, a wicked man, the characteristics of the cursed man and the result of this wicked man. Now, I, I think we'd all agree here, all of us who are gathered here, would want to be the former rather than the latter. And so I think we're going to uh, you know, focus more on the blessed man rather than the cursed man. And, and uh, I, I wish we had you know, like uh, an hour to, do, to exposit this, right, because there's so much to do, but I don't think Jeff will let me do that. And you guys are probably getting angry at me too. So we're going to take a look at the first three verses more, the, the blessed man, and then uh, we'll uh, kind of skim over the, the latter three verses. So in the first two verses, we see the do's and the don'ts of the blessed man. So the first verse tells us that the blessed man does not do these things, or there are three don'ts. The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The blessed man does not stand in the way of sinners. And the blessed man does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Now there seems to be a progression here. He says, 
The, the blessed man does not walk. The blessed man then does not stand. And then the blessed man does not sit. So it seems like there could be a progression. Uh, like, you know, you're walking along the way, but then you see sin, and you say, oh, you know, I'll stand and I'll, 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 let's see what's going on here. And then finally you sit down and you're kind of immersing yourself in that sin. And some scholars will say that there is that pro progression. However, uh, some scholars also argue that there is no progression, but it, it's actually just the same thing three times. A psalmist is trying to emphasize the wicked man, right? The, the things not to do three times. And we can kind of see this when we compare this to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses uh, 4 and 9. I'm just going to read the second half of it, verses 6 through 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now when the instruction, the law of the Lord is being given to the Israelites, basically the Lord is telling, commanding them that his law, his commands shall be everywhere. It shall be when they walk by the way, when they're at home, when they're with their children, when they're uh, outside, when they lie down and when they rise. And it, it doesn't seem to be a progression, but it's an overall theme that the Lord is saying, the law of the, the Lord, the commands of God, shall be with you everywhere you go, always. And especially, it has to be in your heart in order for that to happen. In fact, the, the previous verse, right, the Shema, right? The Lord is one, and then the greatest command, what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, right, with all your soul. That is the premise of the law of the Lord. How can you keep the commands of God? How can they be with you all the time? It's as you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In view of this passage, then, the blessed man is the one that has the commands of the Lord on his heart at all times. When he is walking by the way, when he is sitting down, right, when he is standing, he loves the ways of the Lord because he loves the Lord. And so then the blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked because he does not desire the things of the wicked. His heart and mind are not drawn to the affections of the world, so the counsel of the wicked are foolishness to him. Instead, the blessed man seeks the counsel and wisdom of God because he loves God. He does not stand in the way of sinners because his desire is no longer to sin. The blessed man hates sin and desires to live in righteousness because he loves God. He does not sit in the seat of scoffers because instead his desire is to praise God, to adore God. The cursed man scorns and mocks God and makes himself out to be his own God. But the blessed man humbles himself and speaks adoration and praise and brings glory to God because he loves God. How can we do these things? How can we walk in the counsel of God? How can we stand in the way, right, of righteousness, the way of God? How can we bring glory and praise to God? How can we speak the things of God? But through his law, 
through his commands. In contrast to these things, the wicked only desire the things of the world. The wicked do not desire God because the wicked do not love God. Because the wicked do not love God, they do not love his law and they do not love his commands. They are not willing to receive instruction from anyone, not even God, because they are their own God and they're only concerned about their own lives and their own plans rather than the Lord's. And they love to live contrary to righteousness and the truth of the Lord is folly to them. They despise it and they even mock it. They do these things because they do not love God. They despise God. Here are the don'ts of the blessed man. And just really quickly in your own heart, does this description of the blessed man and the wicked man, which one describes you more? As we go to verse 2, we go into the do's of the blessed man. The psalmist says, The blessed man delights in the law of the Lord, and the blessed man meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Instead of living in the way of the cursed man, the blessed man loves the law of the Lord. He loves the commands and the instruction of the Lord. And then the psalmist says, not only does he love them, but he shows that he loves the Lord by meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. Does that mean that we have to think about the laws of the Lord in the day and then when it becomes nighttime, do it again in the night? Well, maybe. But day and night really refers to just at all times. Just like in Deuteronomy 6, at all times. When you're at home with your children, when you're at work, wherever you are, day and night, to love the law of the Lord and meditate on it all the time. But the question arises, how do we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. How, how do I desire to love the laws of the Lord? After all, when we think about the law, we think about it in negative terms, mostly. The law restrains us and restricts us, and it does not allow us to do the things that we want to do. When we read the Bible, a lot of times we assume that the laws are given to the Israelites, and it's a bad thing. It's unfruitful. We think about Jesus always admonishing the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders and calling them hypocrites because they are so legalistic. And so how can we delight in the law? Is it even okay to delight in the law as a Christian? But the law is not bad. The law is only as bad as the people that it is over. The law is bad for us because we are bad. If there was no law, there would be complete chaos, tyranny, and even more evil and corruption in our world than there is now. Why is that so? Not because the law is bad, but it's because we are bad. We are sinful, and we are depraved. In fact, the psalmist throughout the book of Psalms and throughout the Bible confessed that because they know the law of the Lord. They delight in the laws. The laws of God are not simply to hold us to some standard, and when we fail to meet that standard, then there's condemnation and wrath. But the law is given to us for us to understand the heart and the characteristic and the will of God. It is good. 
In Psalm chapter 19, the psalmist says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So then in contrast to the first verse, the don'ts, and what the ways of the wicked are, it is the law that reveals the perfect will and character of the one who gives that law, the lawgiver, who is God. The counsel of the law leads us to understand his will and his righteousness. The law reveals our sin and our brokenness and leads us to the path, to the way of righteousness. It is the law that leads us to praise God. Speaking on the delighting of the law, in his commentary, Willem van Gemeren, he writes, delight, or hepso, expresses all that makes the godly happy. The law is more than their delight, it is their chief desire. So then the blessed man, or the blessed woman, does not despise the law of the Lord. The blessed man or the blessed woman does not hate the law of the Lord. I've heard this sometimes even among uh, Christians, evangelical Christians, saying, oh, well, the Old Testament laws don't apply to us anymore. They don't, I, I don't have to think about those laws anymore. I'm free. Jesus has set me free from all those laws. Oh, stop being so legalistic about all those things. But it is not, the blessed man does not stray away from the law of the Lord. The blessed man does not despise the law of the Lord. The, the blessed man does not do away with the law of the Lord, but in fact, the blessed man loves the law of the Lord. And when the blessed man or woman meditates and reflects on the law of the Lord, it brings them joy and delight. And when we say meditation, we're not talking about the East you know, Asian meditation where we're trying to reach some kind of peace, some inner peace or zen or you're trying to clear your mind of stress, anxiety, depression. It's not the type of reflection where you're trying to live your best life now or be a better you. I don't know if you've heard that somewhere before. It's not trying to empower yourself to, to, to be a better person or bring about a more positive way of life by thinking happy thoughts. The meditation here is talking about a genuine, constant reflection and seeking of God's will through his commands. And constantly, the word for the law, the commands of God, is interchangeable with the word of God. The word used here, Torah, it refers usually to the first five books of Moses, which are the books of instruction or the laws of Moses. However, this word, Torah, also means direction, instruction, and teaching. And it is interchangeable with the Word of God because the entire Word of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is our guide, our source of knowing the teachings and being guided and led to know the righteousness of God. And so in Van Gemmeren's commentary, he explains, the Hebrew word Torah, it signifies primarily instruction that comes from God. This is the distinctive difference between revelation and religion. 
Revelation comes from God for the purpose of helping human beings live in harmony with God's will, whereas religion is a human attempt to order one's path and explain the surrounding world. The godly in every age live in in accordance with revelation. The contents of the revelation may vary, and Christians may dispute how the OT laws relate to the church today, but there should be an earnest search for and delight in doing the will of God as set forth in Jesus' teachings. So we delight in the law of the Lord, not because of our religion. It's not an obligation. It's not something that comes out of legalism. But we delight in the law of the Lord because it is the word of God. The word of God that leads us and guides us in our everyday life. So then the blessed man, the blessed woman meditates and reflects constantly on the law, the word of God, not because of religiosity, not because you come to church, but because we delight in the Lord, because we love the Lord. As noted earlier, the Israelites were commanded to meditate on the word day and night. And since they didn't have Bibles to reference as we do, they didn't have the internet. If they thought of something, uh, uh, what does the, the scripture say about this? And you can just ask Mr. Google. They had to meditate on it day and night. Otherwise, they'd forget. When they came to worship and they learned the, the law of the Lord, when it was presented, it was spoken to them, they had to constantly remind themselves, this is the law of the Lord. This is what the Lord delights in. The, these are the commands of the Lord. If they did not reflect Constantly, if they did not meditate on the law of the Lord constantly, they did not know what the will of the Lord was. They did not know what the, what the Lord delighted in or what he wanted for them in their lives. And we may in the 21st century have our physical Bibles and our Bible apps and we may have Mr. Google to look up things, but we still have to meditate on the law of the Lord, the word of God, day and night. Otherwise, we will not know the will of God. We will miss what the Lord desires for us in our lives. We must constantly read and study the word, but not only study it at one point in time, but to constantly reflect on how the word of God, it leads us in our daily living. I think the reason that many times we don't see fruit in our daily devotions. Maybe you do a daily devotion early in the morning or during the day or maybe before you sleep at night. But sometimes we don't see fruit in that because that's the only time that we reflect and meditate on the word of God. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the psalmist says. He says meditate on it day and night. So after you're done with that daily devotion in the morning, that continues throughout the day. And if you do it, you know, right before you go to sleep, maybe some of you do, then that continues, hopefully into your dreams, and then into the next day, day and night. Now, we're going to quickly look over uh, verses 3 and 6 because we don't have a lot of time. The author uses a tree as imagery as the one who is blessed. And in the, in the, in the rest of the verses, he compares this blessed man to the cursed man. A tree is used to give us an image the psalmist says that he is, the tree is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that it does, he prospers. When we delight in the 
the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, and we meditate on it. We will not desire the counsel of the wicked. We will not desire the way of the sinners or the seed of scoffers. Instead, we will be like a tree that bears good fruit. And we will be prosperous and successful. That's what the word tells us. In Joshua chapter 1, before he takes, you know, he leads the Israelites into Canaan. God says, be strong and courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in, in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You will be prosperous. You will have good success. That doesn't mean that you will make a million dollars. Or you'll be happy all the time in your life. What does it mean to be prosperous and successful? It means that if you do not turn to the right hand or to the left, if you meditate on this word, the law of the Lord, day and night, then you will do the will of God and you will glorify God the Father. And that is what it means to be successful in this life. Not to be a CEO or all those things. Those are worldly successes. But as a Christian, we are successful when we do the will of God. Joshua, when he meditated on the word of God, the law of God, day and night, what did he do? He led the Israelites into Canaan. What was he doing? He was doing the will of God. And so Jesus teaches us that when we do the will of God, when we abide in him, we will bear good fruit. He says in Matthew 7, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, but nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. He explains to us in John 15 that we cannot bear this good fruit unless we abide in him. Apart from Jesus, we cannot do anything good. This is the result of the wicked, cursed man. He hates the law. And opposes God himself. And so the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way, the, the way of the blessed man, he will, he will be in eternal righteousness. But what does the psalmist say of the wicked, the cursed man? He says he will perish. There's either one or the other. You're either the blessed man who has eternal prosperity, eternal life, or you are the cursed man who will perish. And so it's pretty obvious, even after this brief exposition of Psalm 1, that most of us, if not all of us here today, want to be the blessed man. We don't want to be driven away by the wind like chaff. We don't want to perish like the cursed man. We want to be the blessed man. But if you've noticed throughout this whole exposition, I've asked you a lot of questions. How can we do this? How can we do that? But I haven't really answered any of them. I've just left them open-ended. How do we desire to delight in the, in the laws of the Lord? How do we desire to be this blessed man? How do we desire not to walk in the counsel of the wicked? How do we desire to do all of these things? Well, as I promised at the beginning, We'll answer this by looking at Psalm 1 
in relation to Psalm 2, to the book of Psalms, and to the Bible. Psalm 2 speaks of an anointed one, the king, the son that will come to reign on Zion, the holy hill. Those who take counsel together against him will fail. Those who stand against him will know his wrath and fury. Those who refuse to bow before him and serve him will perish. But those who serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in trembling, those who kiss the Son and take refuge in him will be blessed. Who is this anointed Savior but Jesus Christ? As I explained earlier, historically, the book of Psalms was compiled after the the exile and most likely after the rebuilding of the second temple when the Israelites were looking forward to a Messiah. They were looking forward to a Savior. They were looking forward to a one who would save them forever, who would reign eternally over them in perfection. And so the book of Psalms was compiled as a, a, a book of songs and psalms to the Lord, asking and pleading and hoping and desiring for the day that he would save them and praising him for that promise and covenant. Who fulfills that promise and covenant but Jesus Christ? So then in the context of the entire Bible, which we know is God's divine revelation about his will of salvation for us through Jesus Christ, we understand that this psalm also directs us to Jesus Christ. He is the one who perfectly walks in the counsel of God rather than in the wicked. He is the one who stood perfectly in the way and the will of God rather than the way of sinners. He is the one who sat in the seat of righteousness rather than in the seat of scoffers. He is the one who not only delighted in God's law, but perfectly fulfilled his law, all of the laws and prophets, prophets, and he lived in perfect obedience to the will of God. Jesus Christ. So then, who can make us walk in the counsel of God rather than in the counsel of the wicked? Who can make us stand in the way of God rather than sinners? Who can make us sit in the seat of praise rather than in the seat of scoffers? Who can make us perfectly righteous and able to fulfill perfectly the law of God? Who can make us desire the law of God to meditate on it day and night? Who can draw our hearts to delight in the ways of the Lord but Jesus Christ. So this psalm is about the blessed man who is not straining and striving of his own efforts, trying not to, you know, to dodge the counsel of the wicked and trying as hard as he may every morning to wake up and say, I'm going to meditate on the laws of the Lord and I'm going to do my best today. This psalm is not about the blessed man and his efforts to please God. This psalm is about the one who, who draws us to God, the one who is the mediator for us between us and God. This psalm is about the Redeemer. How are our hearts drawn to delight in the law of the Lord? Because of Jesus Christ. And so commenting on this law, R.C. Sproul writes, 
The law does not drive us out of the kingdom, but it ushers us into the kingdom by directing us to the one who alone is able to fulfill its demands. He gives us his law not to take away our joy, but rather that our joy may be full. His law is never given in a context of meanness, but in the context of his love. We love the law of God because God loves his law and because that law is altogether lovely. The law in this regard is redemptive. Not that we find our redemption by keeping the law, but that the Redeemer is shown to us through this law. So the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord because Jesus is the one who perfectly fulfilled the law once and for all. Very briefly, what is the result of the fulfilling of Jesus, fulfilling the law? As we read in the New Testament passage today, the prayer of Jesus. And again, this gospel message, this mystery of the gospel, just so evident and so clearly and beautifully portrayed to us today is this. We who are the blessed man, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter where you come from or what language you speak or what your background is, we who through, because of Jesus Christ, are the blessed man, are called by our Savior to love one another because we love his commands, because we love his law. This is what Jesus says, if you, if you, if you love me, then keep my commands. And this is what Jesus says today to us in the New Testament passage, a uh, portion that we didn't read, but I would like to read it to you in closing. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you love me. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great redemption. We are able to be this blessed man, not because of our own efforts, not because we deserve it, not because of anything we did, Lord, but only by your grace. And because of the love that you have for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that as we live as this blessed man every day of our lives, as we meditate on your law day and night, as we obey your will, as we love you in our lives, we pray that you, Lord, would work in our hearts, that we may love one another and be one as you have commanded us to be. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.